You know, we got to have a, a lot of fun last night. Me, Emily, and, and Mia, we actually went to Mia's first concert last night. We wanted to be the ones to take her to experience something like that, but it, it wasn't your typical concert in, a, in an arena. It was a worship concert in a church, so that's kind of how things go when you're a pastor's daughter. You don't, <laughs> life's a little bit different than the, the norm, but we had an absolute blast. And the funnest part for me last night, and I think all the dads in the room would agree, was the opening act. The guy got up there and just started getting us with all these wonderfully amazing dad jokes. You guys know what I'm talking about, like some good puns, where they're just, they're so bad, they're good. He said, uh, I'm trying to remember one of them last night, he said, what do you call it when a, when a bald eagle is sick? Illegal? Okay, okay, I won't do that. I, I, I was going to test the water, see how that landed here. We're not going to do that here. But see, I love stuff like that. I love that awkward kind of like, oh, that's bad, that's bad. Oh, me. But anyway, so we had, a, we had a blast with that last night. It was so fun. We were here at uh, Central Baptist Church, just up the road off Grande and Tyler, and the place was packed. Just people worshiping. It, there was one point where I just turned around and looked at the room and just worshipers of all different denominations and, and just praising God. It was, a, it was a wonderful thing. And every time I get to gather with just worshipers from, you know, outside uh, uh, of just our little body, it always reminds me that we are just a part of something so massive and incredible. It goes so big. We are a part of the most glorious and wonderful thing on this planet, and that is the body of Christ living and breathing here today. Me and you are a part of that. Isn't that good? Wonderful to be a part of. Well, I, I just want to again thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're we're going to be continuing our series in, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, we have gone through this book a lot longer than I thought we would. My original plan was just a couple of weeks, but every time I'm studying the scripture and preparing, I keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into these things, and I see why this is such an important book, even for us today. We are not the original Hebrew audience that this book was written to, but these truths, these, the, the reason that this author gave this to us, God preserved this in his scripture for all time. These things are just as important for us here today as it was for them when it was originally written. And if we recall in this book, the, the big theme, the main thing we see is that Jesus Christ is better than everything. He's better than everyone. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham, than Joshua. I mean, Hebrews tells us that nothing compares to Christ Jesus. And it's just wonderful to see that over and over and over again. And, and last week, actually the past few weeks, you know, the author has spent the past few chapters talking about Jesus' priesthood. Something that outside of the book of Hebrews, the church really doesn't talk a whole lot about. We talk about Savior and Lord, but we don't talk about Jesus, our priest, all the time. So it's good to be reminded of this. But uh, this author has spent the better part of, of three chapters now setting all of this up, talking about Jesus as this high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we looked at that last week and we compared Jesus' priesthood to the Levitical priesthood. And we saw that Jesus' priesthood is just plain better, as the Bible calls it. It says that he is the guarantor of a better covenant. And so we see that Jesus is better. And mainly, the one thing I want us to take away from that is that that scripture there in verse, I think it was 25, that says that Jesus is able, he is able to save to the uttermost everyone 
who draws near to God through him, since he lives forever to make intercession for them. And that's so wonderful that we can actually draw near to God through him. And that God himself has sworn that Jesus serves in this role forever. So we see that everything we need comes through Christ, this appointed son who's been made perfect forever. The author has been leading us and leading us and leading us about this priesthood for chapters now in Hebrews. And today, this passage that we're going to come into is going to begin by saying, now the main point of what we're saying is this. So I think that's something that we should all pay attention to. If the author has been talking about a subject for a long time, and then finally he comes to a point and he says, now the sum of everything, the main thing I'm trying to get you all to understand is this. And so today, rather than focus in on a couple of verses, uh, we're going to read the entire chapter uh, 8 of Hebrews. It's only 13 verses, so it's not really that long. But hang with me as we read this and realize the author has been building this up for several chapters now. And he's going to go into something here. He says, the main point of what I'm saying is this. So this is important for us. If you'll turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 1 through 13. Hebrews 8, verses 1 through 13, or you can read along on the screen. It says, now the point in what we are saying is this, that we have such a high priest. He just got through saying that, that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost everyone who draws near to God through him because he lives forever to make intercession for them. Talks about how he's holy and blameless and set apart and all these things, all the goodness. And the author says, the main point is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord has set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest, speaking of Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Verse 5, they serve as a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises." For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Verse 8, for he, God, finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. 
So I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one to his neighbor and each one to his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them. To the greatest. I love verse 12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now we covered a lot of ground in there. In that passage. And in fact, there's a couple of parts of that passage that I've heard trip people up from time to time because let's just be honest, it gets a little clunky sometimes when we're reading the Bible, especially when you've got a pa- passage of scripture that was quoted from the original Hebrew, quoted into the Greek, and then translated over into English. We start to stumble through some of these things. And I'd like to clear up a few things as we go through this passage today, but remember, The author said the main point is this. That high priest that we've been talking about, that high priest that everything we need, who does everything better, better than the Levites, able to truly save, that's who we actually have. That's the main point, number one. So this is the main high thing, that that high priest, his name is Jesus. He is the priest that God has sworn, who lives forever And serves after the order of Melchizedek, interceding on the behalf of every person that draws near to him. Verse 2 calls him a true minister in the true tent. Now if we remember our history, back when Israel first got called out of the land of Egypt, they were wandering through the wilderness. Right? They didn't have a place or a home yet. God was taking them there. They didn't have a, a place where God met with them except for on that mountain. But then God gave Moses some instructions to build a tent, a tabernacle, a a place where they could meet, where the presence of God could meet with them, they could intercede on behalf of the people, the priest could serve there. And he gave them the very specific set of instructions. And if you've ever read that passage of Scripture, you might wonder, why did God say do it like this, or build it that way, or set this here, or have this many things here, this over here, make it like this. Well, the brilliant theologian, the author of Hebrews, tells us that those things were just a shadow and a copy of everything in heaven. So what God was doing when he told Moses to make the tent of meeting like this, he was telling him, you're going to make something on earth that resembles the true tent of meeting, my actual presence in heaven. You're going to make something that resembles this. That's why you need to do it just as I've commanded. It's resembling what actually exists in heaven. And Jesus is not a minister like these earthly priests, serving the shadow, serving the things to come, because Jesus is that fullness. Jesus is ministering in the true tent, the true presence of God, not 
the shadow and the copy in the things to come. He's the fullness of those things. That's why it says that, that he has a, a better ministry. But first I want us to see in verse 3. It says that the high priests are appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. This makes total sense to us. That's their entire job. But then it would also make sense that this Jesus, if he's been made the high priest, he has something to offer too. But he's not bringing bulls or, or sheep or he's not bringing birds. He's not bringing grain. He brought himself, his perfect blood before the very presence of God as the most perfect and wonderful offering that has ever been. So much so that God never required another offering for sin for the rest of eternity. The true tent, the true meeting, the true minister. And it says that his ministry is greater and is as much greater his service in the true tent is as much greater as the new covenant is to the old covenant. We've heard language like this already. Remember in the first few verses, it said that Jesus Christ is higher than the angels, as higher as the name he has received is than them. Remember, what name has Jesus received? The name that is above every name. That's how much greater Jesus is than the angels. So when it says that his ministry is as greater as his covenant is to the old covenant. Let me tell you, the new covenant just leaves the old one in the dust. Thank God. Because the old covenant would have every one of us guilty and dead. And why? Why, why is it so much better? The Bible's pretty plain why the new covenant's better than the old. It has better promises. I mean, that's good news. It has better promises. I love this too. Not better conditions, if then, but better promises. Yes and amen. But let's see what these are. Before we get into this, but why? Why even give a new covenant in the first place? That, that, that's another question we could ask. Why even give a new covenant? Why would we, God even do this? If, if God gave us something that is forever true, anything God speaks is true, why would he need to change anything? Well, we know God's perfect and good. We know his law, his word is good and perfect. So it says that there's a fault with the first covenant. So there's three parts with this. You got God, God's covenant, Man, the Jews. I'll give you one guess on where the fault lies in this covenant. Okay? Problem's not God. The problem's not his covenant. The problem was sin. The sin that the Jews had. And so God found fault with them. We know God didn't make a faulty covenant. Everything God does is good. It's right. It's true. It's just. God found fault with them. He says, you did not keep my commandments. So what does he do? He said, I'm making a covenant with the house of Israel. Does he just let them be destroyed and taken over and killed and just everything bad happened to them? He lets some things happen to them. He does let them go off and do their own thing. And when they go to battle without him, he lets them go do that and they get conquered. 
But ultimately, he never forsakes them as a whole. One of the things you see in Scripture is that God preserves a remnant of his people. No matter what's going on, no matter how faithless they were, God was still for them as a people and kept preserving them. He preserved them, he rescued them, and he helped them. And instead of just abandoning them, which he has every right to do, God makes a covenant and we don't keep it, God has every right to just abandon us and say, oh, I'm done with you. Not only have you broke the covenant, you keep breaking the covenant. We're done here. God had every right to do that. But what does he do? Instead of forsaking us, instead of leaving us just to die, he brings about a new covenant. And I love this, and it says that it's not like the old one. I'm going to do something new. I'm going to bring a new covenant, and it's not like this one I made in the wilderness. Because the one in, in the wilderness was kind of an if-then. If you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if this happens, then you do this, if this happens, then you do if this happens, then you do this. It's kind of an if-then. But whenever we look at the language of the new covenant, we'll see it today. There's a lot of I will. It's just a done deal. Where it's not dependent on us to uphold it because God knows we can't. So he upholds it for us. That's the beauty of the new covenant. Let's look at how it's different in this new covenant right here. God promised to establish a, a new covenant there in verse 10. Now, this explanation, uh, this quotation comes from Jeremiah 31, where he talks about this new covenant. And right here, one of the things I want to explain is this is not a total explanation of the new covenant. It covers a lot of key things, but it doesn't cover everything. For instance, this passage in Jeremiah doesn't talk about God giving us a new heart and a new spirit, which we know that's part of the new covenant. So what he's saying is true, but he's pointing out something very specific. He, he did this throughout the prophets. He would reveal kind of piece by piece by piece what was coming in Jesus Christ. But right here, whenever he says that, I will put my laws into their minds and their hearts. This is interesting language to think about. You remember, whenever God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, he wrote it on those tablets of stone. But in the New Covenant, he says, I'm going to put it right here. I'm going to write it on your heart. Now, this doesn't mean we have everything downloaded straight into our hearts and minds. Boy, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be so good. The, the word here, when it says, I will put my laws, remember, this isn't English. And really, the original version of this is not Greek, but, but Hebrew, going back. And it says, I will put my Torah. I will put my Torah on their minds and their hearts. And the Torah can refer to a, a number of things. It's, it's his instruction. It's his teaching. It's his directives, his customs, his manners, his ways. The Torah in the Old Testament can refer to a, a single verse of Scripture or all five books, the first five books of the Bible. So he says, I'm going to put my Torah in their minds and on their hearts. 
like I said, it'd be wonderful if God just instantly downloaded and we could just like quote scripture just right out of the bat, like bam, bam, bam. That's not what he's doing, and that's not what he means when he says that. What it means is that he's going to change us from within. It's not going to be about looking to some tablets of stone and reading there. It's going to be, he's written it in here. Changing the very desires of your heart. Changing the very thoughts in your mind. And this passage, this quotation from Jeremiah that we read, lines up with another passage from Ezekiel, chapter 36 and 26. All right, 26 and 27. Now listen to these words and and think about what we just read earlier. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Remember what the law was written on? Stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. Let me back that part up again. This is God saying, I will put my spirit, the Holy Spirit, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. Be careful to obey all of my rules. I love this because God's not talking about something that is external to us, that we look out and see, but God's talking about changing the very nature of who we are. He's talking about changing our, the thoughts inside of our mind and, and the desires and the passions of our heart and giving us that new heart. And, and I love this when I think about this, is that you had an old dead heart. You did. It was full of sin. It was old. It was dead. God took that from you, and he gave you a new heart. Does God give anything that's evil or wicked? No. God doesn't give anything evil or wicked. So you have a new heart, and it's good. Now, what corrupted the old heart? Sin. What's been dealt with on the cross of Jesus Christ? Sin. So you've been given a new heart because of Christ Jesus, because you're in him, because you believe in him, you're given a new heart that's good and it stays good. Sin and temptation does not come from your heart. That's never taught in scripture. That comes from the flesh and the mind gives itself over to that and makes decisions to listen to the flesh and the lies of the flesh. Sin does not come from the new heart. The Bible never teaches that. He has changed you, given you a new heart after his new ways, new desires, God's very desires. He says, I will be their God. They will be my people. We're talking about fellowship. Everyone in the new covenant will know God. And that's just I know about him. That's experiencing him from the least to the greatest. Classes are gone. There's no such thing as a class system in heaven. We're all in Christ. There's one kind of people in heaven. Those in Christ. They won't need to teach each other saying you need to know God because they all know God. I know that Emily is a believer in Christ Jesus. I don't have to tell her, hey, you need to, you need to believe in Jesus. Because she already knows him. 
That's what that verse says. When we says we won't need to teach one another to know God, people have used that verse to say, I don't need anybody to teach me. That's not what it says. It says you won't need anyone to teach you to know God because you'll already know him. But I love this. Let's get to verse 12. I want to read some scriptures, and I don't have a lot of time, but I'm going to get there. This verse 12 says, I will be merciful to their iniquities and remember their sins no more. I will remember their sins no more. It's not just a fact, it's a promise. Let's, let's talk about this. Because of the cross, because of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, what has happened to your sins? You know, a lot of us think we're going to die, show up at heaven on judgment day, and God's going to judge us for all of our sins. What sense would that make for a Christian? If God's going to judge a Christian for their sins, why did Jesus die? That wouldn't make any sense. Let's read what the Bible has to say about what God does with our sins. Hebrews 8, 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. That's a promise. No more. Let's look at uh, some Old Testament scriptures. Again, I don't, I don't care what tradition has told you. I don't care what your uncle or your favorite pastor or anybody, your feelings have told you. I want to see what scripture says about this. Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. To blot out means he obliterates them, destroys them. They're gone, okay? Blots them out, doesn't remember them. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He has taken the sin away as far as away is away. That's what he's saying. You go, sin goes that way, you go that way forever. Taking them away from us. Isaiah 1, 18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, which is red, they shall be white as snow. This instantly refers to the blood of Christ cleansing us. Though they are like crimson, they shall become like wool. What God is saying there is, though you're stained, I'm going to clean you. Anybody who's ever done laundry understands when there's a stain in the fabric and you clean it, and then it's white and perfect and clean, where's the stain? It's gone. Continue on. Micah 7, 19 says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You know what that means? He's going to stomp it into the ground and destroy it. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. If you're standing on the shoreline and God took your sins, threw them into the depths of the ocean and the Marianas Trench and just went all the way to the bottom, you're, you're pretty far away from that sin, aren't you? That's gone. You'll never see that again. Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. So what has God done with the sins of the believer? They gone. In simple English, they gone. And the best part of that is they're never going to get brought back up again for you. Because if God told you, I won't remember that anymore, 
but then he brought it up on judgment day, he would be a liar. If God says, I won't remember this against you anymore, except whenever you die and stand before me, then we got to talk. That would make God a liar. That would mean Jesus Christ died for nothing. And that would spite and belittle the death of Jesus. When the Bible says that I will remember them no more, when he removes our sins, he removed them. He has made you new. He has made you clean. That's what it talks about when he's speaking of this new covenant. This old one has become obsolete. All these shadows and things. It's getting ready to pass away. And in fact, history actually did this. The temple was destroyed. And so now there's no sacrifices being offered at the temple. There's no priests even serving in the temple. Because the Jews would have kept doing that system. Not realizing who Christ Jesus was. So God said, I'm putting a stop to that. And I'm going to allow it to happen. That's why we stand here today. And we're not talking about being under an old covenant, but we stand here and speak of a new covenant. Where every one of us knows God from the least to the greatest. And every one of us has been completely forgiven of sins. And our God remembers them no more. Thank God for that. That's the new covenant we live in. That's the new birth he's talking about. We've got that new heart. We've got new passions, new desires, a new spirit, his spirit. You are a completely changed and different person from the inside out. Stop believing the lies that say anything different other than what the scriptures tell you that God has said. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you that we can gather together as a group of believers and worship you. Because you are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. And it is because of you and you alone that we are here. And God, I thank you for this passage of scripture. As we continue to study the book of Hebrews, you just keep revealing yourself to be greater and greater and greater than anything we could have imagined. Just when we think we've seen how good the gospel gets, it gets better. It really is good news. You have brought us good news. Lord, I pray that you would Open our eyes to understand that more and more. Open our hearts. Show us that new heart that you've given us. Show us that gift. Reveal the spirit you have put inside of each and every believer, God. That we are a totally new creation living in a new covenant with you. You are so wonderful, so merciful, so graceful. Though 
Though our sins were many and great, you trampled them underfoot. You blotted them out. You cast them into the sea, and you remember them no more because of your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's Him that we worship. It's Him that we adore. Father, I pray today that every believer in this room would know that truth. And Lord, I also pray for anyone in this room who doesn't understand that yet, who, ha who doesn't understand the forgiveness you offer them, who doesn't understand who your son Jesus is. I pray your Holy Spirit would sweep over them today, Lord. I pray they would look to you for salvation that they would call upon the name of your son Jesus and be saved and accept the free gift available through him. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, and our King Jesus. Amen.